Hello, my friends, and welcome to the Bible in Order, where we are chronologically going through the entire Bible in one year. Today's reading for December 17th is the book of Philippians. Some would call it the book of joy. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, with or including the overseers and deacons. We know that deacons are servants. The word literally means servant. The word overseer has a connotation, I think, in today's language that refers to somebody in authority, but it's really not somebody in authority. It's somebody who is a servant, much like a deacon, but with a little bit more specificity tied to it. If you break down those two Greek words, over and seer, over is on or upon, the Greek word epi, like epidermis. And seer comes from the same word that we would get scope, like a telescope, or a scope on a hunting rifle that helps you hone in on the target. An overseer is one who keeps an eye on the people of God to ensure things are going the way that they're supposed to go, that the people are hitting the target, you could say. Most definitely a position of service, of putting the needs of others before oneself, much like Paul did during his life and ministry. Paul and Timothy write, I give thanks upon my every remembrance of you. I'm thankful for your partnership in the gospel. It's a good reminder for us that we are partnering with others. It's not the pastor's job, or in this case, the apostle's job. It's a partnership to make sure things are going according to the will of the Lord Jesus Christ, much like we see in Ephesians and other writings of Paul. His prayer is that the people would continue growing in knowledge and in wisdom, beginning in verse 9 of chapter 1. I pray this, that your love will keep on growing in knowledge and every kind of discernment, so that you may approve the things that are superior and may be pure and blameless in the day of Christ Jesus, filled with the fruit of righteousness to the glory and praise of God. Verse 21, For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. I would much rather go on and be with Jesus Christ and not have to suffer in this way any longer in this corrupt world that we live in. But I know that at least for now, it's better for me to be here because there's work for me to do. Remember, we are citizens of heaven and we should be acting in a manner worthy of heaven. And we should be living our lives in a manner worthy of the gospel. What does it mean to live a life worthy of the gospel? You think about the word worthy, it really means suitable or it matches. If we are citizens in heaven, we should act like citizens of heaven. We should not be carrying on about the things of this world. We should not be fighting or suffering contention or being contentious like many people in the world. No. God is calling us to a higher standard and will only truly be happy when we learn to live that higher standard in that manner fitting or suitable, matching our eternal calling. 
Remember this, in verse 29, it has been granted to you not just to believe on Jesus Christ, but also to suffer for his sake. The word granted means to receive something. It's grace. It's freely given. It's not earned. It has been granted to us to both believe in him, but also to suffer for him. That word suffer, I think, is worth looking at, too. What does it really mean? Does Jesus want us to be unhappy? By no means. The word suffer there refers to emotion. And it's not necessarily negative, although it does carry that connotation. It has to do with a deep emotional heaviness, almost like a mourning when you lose someone you love. In this case, the mourning is derived from losing the life that we desire according to the flesh. We are mourning the death of our flesh as we pick up our cross daily and follow after Jesus Christ. And, and don't you dare forget, it is a gift. The suffering for the sake of the gospel as we are transformed into his image is a gift. And our reward is being transformed into his image. It takes some struggle and strife and self-denial and perseverance and discipline for us to become like him, but it's oh so worth it. Chapter 2, verse 3, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in everything consider others as better than yourselves. <clears throat> Everyone should look not only to his own interests, but primarily to the interests of other people. This is how we fulfill the law of Christ. We are like him. Remember, this is the eternal word of God who emptied himself of his heavenly authority and power and came in the flesh like a little hopeless baby totally relying upon the Father for everything. He humbled himself and became obedient even to the point of death, death on a cross no less. And it's because of this that God exalted him. If God exalted Jesus Christ because of his obedience and humility, how much more will he exalt us when we are humble and obedient? What is it we are being commanded to do? Chapter 2, verse 12 says, Work out your salvation with fear and with trembling. That sanctifying work that's been done in us, let us continue to work it out. Let us continue to focus on being transformed for the glory of God. And what else? In chapter 3, verse 1, rejoice in the Lord. Paul says, For me to write to you about this again is no trouble for me, and it's a safeguard for you. Like a guardrail when you're driving up a mountain road to keep you on track to make sure that you don't fall off of a cliff, the guardrail is rejoicing in the Lord. In chapter 3, verse 12, Paul says, Not that I have already obtained this, not that I am already made perfect or complete. It could also be translated as mature. But I make every effort. I press on toward the goal 
because Christ Jesus took hold of me. Because God latched on to me, I will latch on to him. And everyone who is mature should think of it this way also. And in verse 15, if any of you disagree, God will make that clear to you as well. Interesting how Paul wasn't trying to convince anyone to agree with him. And he was literally saying here, let people make up their own mind what they are hearing from God. It's not my responsibility to get you to think a certain way. We just share the truth and let God convict a person or convince them, whatever's more appropriate. Chapter 4, verse 4, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness or your graciousness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Let us be motivated by this. The Lord is near. He is here. He's watching. He's in the room. He sees all of it that's going on as well as the intentions of our hearts. Don't worry about anything at all, ever. Never worry. This is a command. Jesus commanded us, and so do Paul and Timothy here. Do not worry. Don't stress about anything. But in everything, present your requests to God. Make your petitions known to Him. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Jesus. Finally, my brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble or honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, lovely, commendable, if there is anything morally excellent, if there is anything praiseworthy, dwell on these things. Live on them. Focus on them. The enemy wants us to focus on negativity, on problems, on things to complain about. We have this tendency to try to convince others how miserable our lives are and how we are wonderful for walking it out with such great attitudes. But instead of trying to convince people how strong or patient or how much pity or companion misery we are worthy of, it's actually demonic to complain. And it's not that we should be fake. God is not interested in shiny, happy, fake, plastic people. He wants us to be real, and there's certainly a place for carrying one another's burdens. And how would you carry somebody else's burden unless you know about it? But the struggle and the pain and the hardship should not be our focus. No, we should find things to be thankful for. Whatever is honorable, whatever is good, whatever is true, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, moral excellence, anything worthy of praise, let's make that our dwelling place. Make that where your mind lives. Have an attitude of gratitude and watch God work. Be reminded the Israelites suffered and died for 40 years in the desert because they complained, they grumbled, and they were not grateful. Let's not make that same mistake. Let's be grateful. Chapter 4, verse 13 is one that people tattoo on their bodies and paint on their walls. They have stickers and bookmarks and t-shirts 
I can do all things through him who gives me strength. But the context is not about winning at a sport or getting that promotion at work. The context is actually about being content in every situation. Paul says in verse 12, In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being content, whether well-fed or hungry, whether in abundance or in need, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. The greater context is actually about financially supporting the ministry. And Paul's saying, I'm grateful for your gift, but I didn't really need it because I can do all things through him who gives me strength. God bless you, my friends. Thank you for being on this journey with me. We'll see you tomorrow.